Thank you so much, Dan, and choir and instrumentalists for our beautiful worship today. We'll be looking at Proverbs chapter 25, as well as James chapter 3. So if you'd find both of those passages in your copy of Scripture, Proverbs 25 and James, towards the end of the New Testament, James chapter 3. George Parler tells the story. It was our turn to open presents on the particular Christmas morning. The living room was already cluttered by torn wrapping paper from the onslaught of children's eagerness to unveil the hidden treasures that had tormented them in the packages for nearly a month. My wife, Brenda, and her family have a tradition of gag gifts. It always makes me a bit uneasy at Christmas, never knowing what form of embarrassment or shame I'm going to re receive, what lies waiting for me thinly veiled under the wrapping paper. One of my daughters, Christy, was six years old, standing right in front of me. The excitement of the moment just beamed across her face. It was everything she could do not to rip into my presence and help her daddy open his. And finally, I came to the last gift with my natural Sherlock Holmes ability. I declared this had to be the gag gift because it wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when. So let's get it over with. I'll open it up. They'll all have their laugh and it will be over with. I ripped the paper off and there it was a toy airplane two inches long. Our holiday guests are giggling underneath their breath to each other and I looked at my wife and said with a loud blurt, a toy airplane, give me a break. Brenda gave me that look. That look that tells me I've just put my foot very deeply in my mouth. I'd failed to look at the name tag before I tore into the package and, well, I picked it up from the floor and there scribbled in large broken block letters was, To Dad, Love, Christy. To Dad, Love, Christy. I have never felt as low at any time in my life as I did at that moment. One of the most agonizing experiences in my life was to look down and see all the joy and excitement that had been on Christie's face had now been replaced with a, a total look of humiliation and embarrassment. She had taken her spending money money she could have spent on herself, and she had purchased her daddy a Christmas present, and not just any Christmas present. She had watched me on the computer playing with flight simulators, and she knew I was fascinated with airplanes, and so Christy thought she had bought exactly the right gift for her daddy. I knelt down and grabbed her up in my arms and held her as tightly as I could, trying to take back those words. I made a, a feeble attempt to say that when I thought it was from your mom, it was one thing, but now that I know it's from you, it's a different thing, and nothing was working. She still knew what I had done. And so I took that little two-inch toy airplane, and I began to make airplane noises. And I taxied on a runway, which was a counter in our kitchen. And then I hit full throttle, and we were soon airborne. My mission, my goal was to take off that sadness from my baby's face. I played with that airplane 
rain all day long. I made it sound so much fun. The other kids are throwing away their big toys and saying, hey, I want to turn. I want to turn with the airplane. No, it's mine. It's my airplane, I said. And I kept playing. And finally, there was that smile on Christy's face again. That little airplane is a great treasure, great wealth to me. I still have that two-inch airplane. I keep the plane mainly because it, it came from my little girl's heart with love, but also because it is a reminder to me of the power of words. It is a reminder of me of the power of words. People are often broken by the words of others. Have you ever pondered how many times, how many words you have carelessly uttered that have broken others? Do you hear yourself saying things that you wish you never said, and do you hear things that you wish from others you never heard? Words have, the writer of Proverbs is telling us, and the brother of Jesus and James, words have an unparalleled power in our lives. Job says to his friends in chapter 19, How long will you torment me and crush me with your words? These ten times you have insulted me, and you are not ashamed to wrong me. Here in Proverbs 25, 11, that Cliff read to you, the wise proverbial sage says that a good word, that the right word spoken at the right moment is compared to apples of gold and settings of silver. Look down at verse 12 of Proverbs 25. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. So I think what he's describing is a piece of art, a piece of jewelry. It's like gold formed in the shape of apples set in silver. Like the earring of verse 12, verse 11 is also a piece of art, a piece of jewelry like apples of gold in settings of silver is the right word spoken the right way at the right moment. Now turn over to James chapter 3. The letter written by the brother of our Lord. I want to notice four things quickly about the tongue from the book of James. First of all, I want to look there in James chapter 3 and verse 2. James 3, 2. We stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. James 3, 2. Have you ever thought about this? What we say to others reveals more about who we are than it has to say about the person to whom we're speaking. What we say from our tongue, from our lips, says more about us than it does about the recipient of our words. 
James says here in chapter 3 and verse 2 that we're not really mature until we're not stumbling with our tongues. The word perfect there is the word of complete or mature. If we are to be mature followers of Christ, then we must watch what we say and when we say it and how we say it. If we master our tongue, James says, we can keep everything under control. We might be able this morning to restrain our lust, our anger, our greed, but the brother of Jesus says, until we control our words, we are immature as followers of Christ. We are so quick to speak evil, aren't we? It doesn't take much to provoke our tongues to saying negative things about others. We speak sometimes before we have all the facts or before we've heard the other side of the story. We tear down, we break down, we destroy those around us. Jesus himself said in Matthew 12, hard words, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. By your words you will be justified, or by your words you will be condemned. Matthew chapter 12. Second thing I want you to see about the tongue from James is this. While it's so small in size, it has disproportional power. Look what he says there in verse 3. Now if we put bits into the horse's mouths so they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. And behold, the ships also, though they are great, are driven strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold, how great a forest is set aflame by such a small spark. James paints a picture. Compared to the rest of our bodies, our tongues are so small, and yet they are the center, the nucleus of our power. Just take a strong horse, 2,000 pounds, a small bit in the mouth of the horse guides it. So also our tongues guide us. Reverend Chalfont tells a story about a couple in his church who've been married for 50 years, and during the celebration, the reverend asked them, asked the groom, can you tell us the secret of 50 years of a fulfilling, happy marriage? Well, he said he was raised in an orphanage, and he didn't have the money or the time to date. He was always working. That was till he met his Sarah, and after he met Sarah, he was swept off his feet by her. And after they had exchanged their wedding vows, the groom's new father-in-law handed him a package, and he opened it up, and his new father-in-law said to him, in this package is everything that you need to know to have a happy marriage. In this package is everything you'll ever need to know to have a happy marriage. Well, that made him nervous and excited to open up that gift in front of his new father-in-law, and he did, and it was a large gold watch, and that seemed kind of odd. Yet he looked at the face of the watch, and on that face of the watch was everything he would ever need to know to have a happy marriage etched on the face of the watch that he would see every time he checked the time was, say something nice to Sarah. 
Say something nice to Sarah. For 50 years, he said, I've had the watch. Every time I look at the face, I'm reminded, say something nice to Sarah. The tongue is a key not only to the marriage relationship, but to every relationship that we have. Just like the rudder of a ship so small and yet so powerful or a spark that starts a forest fire, the tongue is so powerful. Here's a third thing that James says this morning. The tongue is difficult to tame. Look at verse 7. The tongue is difficult to tame. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Paul says in Romans 3, the poison of vipers is on our lips. It's true, isn't it, what James says? We can make porpoises dance while we clap. We can teach a chimp to do sign language. Our dogs will play dead. We can teach all animals all tricks. And yet when it comes to our own tongue, no one has been able to tame the tongue. We walk around trigger-happy, scattering buckshot of hurt feelings and damage and emotional wreckage leaving paths of destruction behind our words. Could you imagine a moment, and I wrote this down before recent events ever happened. Did you hear what I said? I wrote this down before recent events ever happened. Could you imagine for a moment that someone had tape recorded everything that you said last week? What if we had put a taping device on you all week long, and then we had a sonographer transcribe every single word that you spoke all week long. And you had to look and to read what you have said to your business partners, to your customers, to your family, to your friends, if you had to look on paper at what you said and in what setting you said it, have you tamed your tongue? Are you blessing folks with what you say? You know, the presidential election may very well be decided by destructive words uttered over a decade ago. Words matter. What we say has a powerful impact. What have you said this week to those with whom you work? What have you said to your children, to your wife, to your grandparents, to your grandchildren, to your sibling? What have you not said? And why have you not said it? There's a, a fourth thing I want you to see. We cannot bless God and curse men with the same tongue. James 3.9. We cannot bless God and curse men with the same tongue. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. He goes on. Can a fountain have fresh water and bitter water at the same time? 
Can a fig tree have figs one season and then turn around and have olives the next? Can a well be filled with fresh water when we drink one day and then salt water the next? No. There has to be a consistency of what comes forth. Likewise, he says, you cannot use the same tongue to sing praises and anthems to God this morning in worship and then leave here and tear others down on the way home. You cannot use the same tongue to bless God and curse men who are made in the image of God. Very quickly, I've thought of a few reasons we tear others down. Sometimes we tear others down to build ourselves up. Sometimes if we can say just a, a slight negative word about somebody else to someone that is important what they think of us, we can say a slight negative word about somebody else and we kind of pull him down or her down and we look a little taller. I was so tempted to do that this week. I was driving down the road and I wanted this person to think a lot about me and there was a third party and it was on my tongue. I thought, what are you preaching about this week? And I did not say it. But had it been any other week, I don't know. Pull you down just a little, I'll look a little taller. Right? Sometimes we say disparaging remarks about others because we want to have the power of knowledge. Oh, go ask her. She knows everything. If we spread the gossip, we have power because people will flock to us and the attention feels good. Sometimes we say negative things to others because we judge ourselves by one standard and others by another standard, don't we? I've noticed that sometimes those king of complainers, when you look at their own affairs and their own industry, they're not nearly as sharp as they can point out the problems in yours. Have you noticed that? Sometimes we use a different measuring rod with our friends than we do ourselves. Do you and I want to be known as someone who's always destroying others, full of venomous poison? Do we? Sister Helen P. Morosa tells the story. It was the first third grade class that I ever taught at St. Mary's School in Morris, Minnesota. All the 34 third graders were so dear to me, but there was one little boy named Mark Eklund. Mark Eklund was one in a million. Very neat in appearance, had that happy-to-be-alive attitude every morning. It even made his occasional mischievousness delightful. And Mark talked incessantly all the time, had to remind him again and again, you cannot talk in class without permission. And his response made it even worse. Thank you for correcting me, sister, he would say each and every time. Thank you for correcting me, sister. I heard it three times a day. The sister wrote, one morning my patience was growing thin. When Mark talked once too often, I made a novice first-year teacher's mistake. I looked at Mark and said, if you say one more word, I'm going to tape your mouth shut. Do you hear me? It wasn't 10 seconds later. Chuck said, Mark's still talking. 
Now, I hadn't asked any of the students to help me monitor Mark's verbiage, but one of them volunteered. And since I had assigned the punishment publicly, I had to carry it out. I reached in my desk deliberately. I got masking tape, went over there and put a big X across his mouth, and I walked away. I looked over at Mark in a little bit to see how he's doing, and he winked at me. That did it. I started laughing. The class cheered, and I walked back to Mark's desk, removed the tape. I shrugged my shoulders, and the first thing he said was, thank you for correcting me, <laughs> sister. At the end of the year, I moved on to teach junior high math, and the years flew by. And before I knew it, Mark Eklund was coming to my class in math. He was more mature now in the sixth grade and all the new math, and he didn't, he didn't talk as much. He was a little more careful about his words. And there was one Friday when things didn't feel right. I was teaching them a new concept, and they weren't getting it. They were irritable with me, and they were irritable with each other. It just was a negative energy in the class. And so I said, let's just forget the math for today. Everybody take out two sheets of paper, and on those sheets of paper, I want you to write the name of every classmate in here, and I want you to write down the nicest thing you can say about your classmate. Every one of them write the nicest words Write all the good things you can say about your classmates on this paper. It took the whole rest of the class to finish the assignment. They left the room, and Charles smiled, and Mark said, Thank you for teaching me, sister, and have a good weekend. That Saturday, I went home, and I made two sheets for each student and put their name like Mark Eklund, and then I transposed over everything that had been said good about Mark on those two sheets of paper. I took all the papers and reassigned them based on the name of the student, so each student would have one paper with all the good things said about him or her. The next class period, I passed out the papers, and it didn't take a moment there. I didn't know anybody like that. Wow, really? That's nice. The spirit had changed. The words had been powerful. Nobody mentioned those papers in class ever again. I don't know if they discussed them with their families or their classmates. I never knew what happened to them. Life went on, and I moved to another city, and the kids became adults. And after several years... Later, I returned from vacation. My parents met me at the airport. My mother started the usual talk, how's the flight and how's the weather. And then she looked over at my father and said, Dad. And he cleared his throat, which meant it was always something serious. And he said, the Ecklands called last night. Oh, I haven't heard from them in years. I wonder how Mark's doing. He's so grown up now. Dad responded quietly. Mark was killed in Vietnam. The funeral is tomorrow, and the parents wondered if you could be there. To this day, I can point to the spot on I-494 where Dad told me about Mark. I'd never seen a serviceman in a casket. He looked so handsome and so mature. All I could think about Mark is, I would give all the masking tape in the world if you could talk to me right now. They sang the battle hymn of the Republic. It all went well. And afterwards, everybody was going over to Chuck's parents' house for a lunch. And they asked if I would come. And when I got there, his parents were waiting on me. His father pulled out a wallet and said, they found this on Mark when he died. And they wondered, wondered if you'd know anything about it. 
He took out two sheets of paper that had been taped and folded and unfolded and refolded, and I knew immediately it was the two sheets of paper upon which I had written all the good things that Mark's classmates had said about him. The classmates began to gather around, and, and Charlie said, I, I still have mine. It's in the top drawer of my desk at home. And Chuck's wife said, well, Chuck still has his. He made me put it into our wedding album. And Marilyn said, mine's in my diary. And Vicki said, she reached out and pulled out her purse and got out her wallet, and there was her sheet. In fact, Vicki said, I think we all kept our sheets from middle school. That's when I finally sat down and cried. Cried for Mark and for all his friends who would never hear a word from him again. But how glad I am that all the students said all the good things. Jesus says, Jesus says, Jesus says every careless word that people speak they shall give an account for them on the day of judgment every careless word that people speak Matthew 12:36 they shall give an account for those careless words on the day of judgment are your words like apples of gold in settings of silver? A right word spoken to the right person the right way at the right time. There is no power like the power of your words. Let us pray. God, there is no word more powerful than your word. There was nothing until you spoke, let there be, and then there was. Your words called into being all that is, all that was and ever will be. And then, oh God, when it, it came for a word to describe your son putting on flesh, the gospel of John well, John writes, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. From the first book, the power of let there be, and from the Word incarnate, the Word putting on the flesh, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Till Jesus' own warning that we must be careful what we say. For by our words we are justified, and by our words we're condemned. Father, we thank you for those most powerful words that Jesus uttered from the cross, even as crucified, because he was saying it for us. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. 
I pray this morning there's one who has never received that forgiveness from the crucified Christ, that today would be that day, and the word for them today would be the word of salvation, the word of forgiveness. Barbara, may there others who want to come, a single person, a, a family, be a part of this great fellowship. And Father, who among us today could leave this hour of worship not recommitting ourselves to making sure that what we say, that our words are like apples of gold and settings of silver. In the name of Jesus, we pray.